Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of Crystal Kyle and Friends, yet another debate breakdown. I bet a lot of you didn't even know there was a debate last night because you're normal. Because <laughs> you're normal. I, I envy you, frankly. Yeah. But we watched it so you don't have to. But it's funny because anytime I would like give my analysis to Crystal last night, she'd be like, I don't care. This doesn't matter. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. Well, <laughs> but it's kind of our job to like talk about it and true, stuff. True, so. true. I mean, I do have thoughts, but specifically when you would be like, I think Ron DeSantis won. I'm like... One what? Yeah, that's right. Like won the right to be at 12% and lose to Donald yeah. Trump? Congratulations. Okay, great. Here, here's you, how you much, won. Here's how much this debate didn't matter. We were a little late. We There was a, like some accident in front of us driving mm-hmm. uh, to D.C., and we were a little late to like get in front of a TV. And so, it, you know, we had like 20 minutes in the car or whatever. We were looking. We have uh, Sirius XM radio, and we were looking for uh, – it's on NBC, so find like NBC radio. Right. There, First of all, there is no NBC radio. There's just MSNBC radio and CNBC radio. And I was like, they're definitely playing the debate right. on MSNBC or CNBC. We turned those on. Nope. Wrong. They were Chris Hayes was doing a normal show on MSNBC and CNBC was talking about God knows what they were talking about, but it wasn't the debate. And it's like, this is how much this doesn't matter because when Fox has a debate, Fox Business plays it, Fox plays it, your local Fox plays it, you'll have it on the radio. It wasn't even on the radio. Yeah. They're like, nobody cares it. about this. We're not even putting this on our other affiliate channels. I mean, that's really what went down, right? Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see. We haven't gotten the ratings yet. I mean, you know they're going to be oh. utterly atrocious. Oh, they're going to be utterly so bad. Atrocious. Mm. And I also knew watching the debate, and we'll get into some of the like most noteworthy moments or the things that jumped out at us, etc. But I also knew about maybe 40 minutes in that there probably wasn't really going to be anything interesting after that. Like once they got through like the Israel conversation, it was kind of like, you know, then they went into some long discussion of the number of ships in the Navy. And well, that's Hugh Hewitt. We'll talk about I, We got to we'll talk about this in a second. Yeah, I'm going to give you it was bad. But the biggest loser of the night, in my opinion, is the media. I think they were way worse than Fox News when they, they did the debate. Every single question was framed from a right wing perspective. Almost every single topic they touched was obnoxious and unnecessary and not not right. I mean, they never got to like wages or corruption or jobs or anything that you I mean, I guess the Israel thing is absolutely important. But of course, the way they talked about it was psychotic. So we're going to get to all that in just a second. By the way, uh, you guys are just this is the general debate breakdown. We're going to get to a whole bunch of specific clips from the debate like um Vivek was called scum by Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. We have Dick Cheney in three inch heels. We have, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to get to. And if you want to see the whole thing, sign up below on Substack to Crystal Kyle and friends, then you'll be able to see the whole thing. You're just going to get little bits and pieces uh, right now. So anyway, with that being said, let's go ahead and dive into it here. So first, let me just, I'll give you who I think won in just a second, but okay. let's hard boy on this said. media point for a second. Yeah. Okay. So bad. It was Lester Holt, mm-hmm. uh, Kristen Welker, yeah, and it was Hugh Hewitt. I will never understand for the life of me. He's like the 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 token uh, hire for conservatives, yeah. on NBC, and he's never said an interesting thing in his life. He has the most whiny, uh, annoying, nasally voice in the world. I know Glasshouse a little bit on my end. I understand that. <laughs> he has twelve listeners as a conservative radio host. He's a psycho. He's not interesting. Why did you have this guy do the debate? He ch- his first c- contribution to the debate was, do you think the Navy's too small? And then when they uh, kind of answered slash didn't answer that question, he's like, okay, but follow-up question, the Navy. Is how many it, ships should we right, have? How many ships? Be specific. And it's like, I, I mean, uh, yeah. And the length of time that was spent on this one question Bro. about how many ships <laughs> Bro. was. Bro. So, but the, you know why he was there. 
I mean, it's no mystery why he was there. It's because liberals are so worried about like, we're trying to show we're fair and we've got we've got our conservative here to ask the conservatives questions. That's the whole reason why the framing of it and the question selection and their inability to like demand that the candidates actually even answer the bad questions that were asked. That's the reason for all of it is because so, they're so terrified they're of being terrified labeled of as biased, which you're going to be anyway. Conservatives so just, yell, liberal bias, liberal bias, liberal bias. So they go, OK, OK, we'll be really conservative, more conservative than Fox News. So here, I'm going to this was like I, I wrote this down. I did this tweet like about halfway through the debate. What had been discussed so far? Israel, anti-Semites on college campuses, Ukraine, China, a bunch of questions about the military, specifically the Navy in many instances, uh, TikTok. And then Venezuela. Those were the things that were brought up. This is before we got to taxes or corruption or wages or social issues. In fact, when they got to the economy, the first question was inflation. Which is the, the whole point of them asking inflation questions to be like, man, the government sure does spend too much money, doesn't it, guys? Go ahead, take the ball and run with it. That right. was the idea. Right. And then when they talked about Social Security, it was like, so Social Security is going bankrupt. What are you going to do about that? It's not going bankrupt. It's the biggest, biggest Washington, D.C. myth of all time. It pays out like uh, it, all of its benefits until however many years in the future. And then after that, it still pays out like 80 percent of its benefits for the foreseeable future. But they act like, no, no, no. One day we're going to wake up. So security's gone. And the, the fixes you need are so tiny and it's just raising taxes on the rich. But they always frame it like this. Oh, it's going away. What are you going to do? You should cut grandma's payments, right? You should raise the retirement age, right? And like, this is what the debate was. It was absolutely positively pathetic. I actually think the media, they were bigger losers than literally anybody on the stage. And everybody on the stage was a loser too. <laughs> the other piece is, listen, I know it can get annoying to like ask questions about Trump all the time, but he is on track to easily win the Republican primary. And he's this giant elephant hanging over the whole thing. So to not get into any of his stuff, to not challenge them at all about like, hey, you know, he's indicted on all these charges and he just had his um, he's just in the middle of his civil fraud trial. And to press them at all on those points, which NBC typically is like, you know, really interested in to leave that out entirely. It's just it makes it very surreal because the whole question hanging over this debate is like, what are we even doing here? Right. Like, what is this even about I don't even see any of you in line for a vice presidential nod. I barely see any of you even having a slot, a chance at like a cabinet slot in a Trump administration. So if you're not addressing that issue of like, what's your critique of Trump? How are you going to beat Trump? What do you think about all of these terrible, manifestly like terrible things that he's done in ways that he failed the country? You're just going to leave that off the table. Then it makes the whole thing even more irrelevant than it already was. That's such a great point, Crystal. He was just he was just found liable of a $250 million fraud, insurance fraud, tax fraud, bank fraud. He's going to lose his business license in New York. He's in the, the courtroom right now, and it's already done. We already know he's effectively guilty or liable, as they say, in civil terms. Right. Right. We know that. There wasn't a single question about that when the guy leading on the Republican side by a mile and a half just was found guilty of fraud. Right. What are we doing here? Well, what and, are we doing here? <laughs> and even if, OK, you know, the legal stuff, even if you put that aside, Republicans just had a horrendous election. Yes, result. they didn't mention that at all. Ron DeSantis brought it up himself. But you would think that would be a major topic of conversation early on in the debate night. Like, why are you losing? What are you going to do about it? And they asked about abortion, but then just allowed everybody to, like, trot out the talking points we'd already heard. Isn't Trump partly to blame? Why is it the Republican Party always loses under Trump? 
none of that, which again, that just literally happened the night before. And you're not going to talk about that? Another great point. That's so true. So you have uh, Ohio, the direct ballot initiatives. By double digits, weed wins and abortion wins. Kentucky, deep red state. The Democratic governor crushes the Republican. And none of this comes up. You guys aren't talking about this at all. In Virginia, they have both state houses now are Democratic. Right. When they were trying to make them both Republican so that Youngkin could do more conservative stuff like abortion related stuff. Yep. That doesn't come up at all. You don't bring that up at all. Mm -hmm. It's just, oh, it was so so bad. It was so bad. It was so bad. Okay. So now to get to the specific candidates, and I'm curious what you think of this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because last night I tried to breach the conversation. Mm -hmm. You're like, it doesn't, shut up. Doesn't, doesn't matter. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, true, but I'm still just saying. (laughs) So uh, the two winners, and when I say, when I say winner, let's be be clear, the overall winner here is Donald Trump. Obviously. And you can make a, a case for Joe Biden as well because they both weren't on that stage and that stage was pathetic. Yeah. But yeah. the people who I think did the best, DeSantis and Vivek. What are your thoughts? DeSantis, yes. Oh, interesting. I, I actually think he, to me, is kind of the most clear. I agree, yeah. Because he, you know, the stuff with Nikki and Vivek is just so ugly. <laughs> And hard to watch. I love it. It's fun. <laughs> I mean, it was the only interesting part of the debate, if yeah. we're being honest, right? But, um, you know, I thought she came off looking small, whereas in her first debate performance, which elevated her into this sort of like third place position and challenging DeSantis for the second place slot, congratulations. Um, you know, she had a, she was commanding. I think she surpassed expectations. This performance just felt sort of tired. It felt like she wasn't sticking the landing. It felt like we'd heard a lot of these talking points before. Her hatred for Vivek is so visceral. Amy and Pete. It's Amy so and Pete. petty. Yep. I think it's at another level. Really? Than Worse than Amy Pete? Yes. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I don't think it was, I don't think it was great for her. Vivek, I just, I think people just don't really vibe with this guy. So, you know, it's, I, I actually, I got a million problems with him. I appreciate that at least he stands up for like, let's not arrest all the college kids on campus. So I'll give him that. <laughs> the lowest bar of all I'll time in a that. Republican debate, right? No, but I, I'm glad that was voiced on the stage. Okay. And it takes some courage to do that at this point, apparently. Um, but I just, people, there's something about him that people not really crazy about. And I think that those qualities were on display last night. Yeah. So to your point, I, th- I have DeSantis as the biggest winner. Then I have Vivek as number two. I agree with you. See, the thing about him is he's a lightning rod. Yeah. And everything he did was intentional. Everything he did was planned. Like he was like, I need to make a splash. I need to be aggressive. He goes in there. We'll get to these clips a little later. But yeah. within the first two minutes of him talking, he, he brings up Joe Rogan and Elon Musk and Tucker Carlson and he berates the media and he does his Trump impression. Yeah. At the end, he does the classic <laughs> like the last election was stolen. I'm just saying, bro. Hey, Trump people, do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? So like it was all very strategic. He, he I think he understands the modern online media landscape better than any other candidate up there. That's the base he's playing to. Like he's 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 getting famous and he's getting a base of support online. Even I saw it in like uh, anti-establishment right-wing circles. Yeah. Those sorts of people, kind of conspiracy brain people, they love this guy. They're like, he's the only one on the stage that I think even remotely represents me. But to your point, in terms of normie voters, yeah, they they don't like him. Yeah. Because he's really smug. He's really arrogant. Um, he seems like a know-it-all, which the first polls after, after that debate, everybody said he's a fucking know-it-all. Yeah, and then he comes on stage in the second debate and is like, I know you guys think I'm a know-it-all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I guess it depends on what your goal is. Right, and that's kind of my point, is that he did uh, what his goal was. If that's what it struck me If your goal at. is to be president of the United States, 
didn't really amount no. to much. Your goal is to be famous and get eyeballs and yeah, go somewhere from here. Yeah, your goal is to then, be, yes. be an in conservative influencer right. and go on Tucker Carlson. And, you know, I then, yeah, I think he is doing very well in that category. And, you know, he's at 4% in the vote and he'll probably stay at 4% in the vote. Yeah. Uh, so Haley, to me, seemed desperate. That's the word I would use to describe her. Yeah. Because, like, her, like, sort of sassy, confident girl boss attitude in the first debate, I think she nailed. Um, and then it sort of started uh, the waffling a little bit in the second debate. And then now, like you said, it, the, the bit seems kind of tired. Um, she doesn't seem girl bossy anymore. She just seems arrogant. Um, she seems, like I said, desperate. She's the most hawkish person on planet Earth. Uh, and I think even those moments that you're talking about with like with uh, Vivek, most people in mainstream media sort of agreed with her because he he mentioned TikTok. And again, we'll show this clip later, but mentions TikTok, says your daughter's on TikTok. So why are you why are you coming after me for being on TikTok? And he's like, leave my daughter. She's like, leave my daughter out of your mouth. And then she said, I don't know out of your, your voice. voice. <laughs> and then I don't even know. Okay. Yeah. And then in, in mainstream media, people were like, um, you, you know, she's right. But my perspective on that is like, it is a cheap attack to go after him for being on TikTok. Like he's running for president. Of course, you want to be on every social media outlet possible. Yeah. Like this isn't actually a big deal just because you want to do your freaking China fear mongering. I also didn't think that his point about her daughter being on TikTok was over the line because it's not like he was no. attacking her daughter. No, he's he saying, saying like, look, everybody uses TikTok. Even your daughter here. uses TikTok. Yeah, he's like, you're out here posturing like you're so anti-TikTok, but in your own household, like you're letting your daughter be on TikTok. So how anti-TikTok are you really? Right. I didn't think it was an over the line point, but it's one of those things the audience reacted to it in real time. They were booing him in real time. And I do think it's one of those things because people don't really like him. He can't really get away with stuff like that. And so I don't know that it's I don't know if it's just the media, but I also think normie voters felt that as like, oh, I don't know. That was a little far. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. And that gets to my point. Like he's playing to his online audience, winning with them, but normies are never going to flock to him. And then I have to bring this up while we're talking about Nikki Haley. She had so many lines that were like, <laughs> yeah. like wait oh what God. what does that even mean so so when so when uh and we'll show this clip again later but vivek says you know do you want dick cheney in three inch heels we got two of them on the stage talking about desantis and talking about nikki haley yeah. which i think that's a good line but she's like well i wear these heels so i can run in them and people are like well no, that does if i can first she said and the thing that really killed me here is I can understand in the heat of the moment, like Lord knows my words have gotten all jumbled up and I've said weird things. She had time to formulate her reply. And she said it confidently. And she, she, it seemed like she thought this through, she was ready to nail it. And so first it's, first of all, they're not three inch heels, they're five. They're five. I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> and then it was, and I only wear them if I can run in them. It's like, all right. And then go ahead, Bye. go ahead. <laughs> I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. What? What does that mean? <laughs> I Like when I first heard it, I was like, okay, maybe there's some, like, let me think about this because I'll figure out what it means. And then I kept thinking and it was like, no, no, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that, that makes no sense whatsoever. It was actually like the more that I thought about it, the less sense it yes. made. Because initially you're like, oh, they're a weapon or they're she's going to stab someone. But ammunition, I don't know. It just doesn't, so, doesn't add up. No, okay, it gets even better though. Then she tweeted it She out, tweeted like, it. Somehow. She tweeted it. Like, you're like, it, she nailed it or something. I'm reading the replies right now. Nikki, please, what does this mean? Shuan Head says, what? 
<laughs> Somebody else says, this is R-worded. Uh, uh, Tommy Lauren, who probably likes Nikki Haley, is in there with the emoji like, <laughs> like what? What, is this? what does this even mean? Uh, reading it, it makes even less sense huh. from uh, Anthony uh, Fantano. True. <laughs> Did Lindsey Graham write this? Somebody wrote, this is the weirdest comment ever. I don't understand. What is this supposed to mean? <laughs> Cringe. Oh, please go away. Literally, what? That's the libs of TikTok lady is like, what? And she's just right wing as right wing comes. So anyway, that handles all those people. So the last two that were on stage, Tim Scott and Chris Christie, guys, I don't know how to say it. They barely exist. It is amazing. Chris Christie, your whole thing is I'm the anti-Trump guy. Why are you not swinging for the fences? Right? Like, yeah. Say he has a little dick, like bring up some specifics about uh, the sexual assault cases that he did. Right? There's a something, anything, anything. (laughs) Throw some haymakers at his face. Make it interesting. Yeah. What are you doing? Like this is. You know you're not going to win. You know you're only doing this to get in good with the CNN crowd and the MSNBC crowd. And you tried to be a kamikaze against Trump. Guess what? It failed. But give me something. Give me something aggressive. Make some headlines. Like for the love of God. And Tim Scott. God bless him, but he is—he has negative charisma. When he every time he would talk wrestle, I would notice my attention going away. Yeah, same. And I would try to force myself, like, no, 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 oh, come well, on, you gotta listen, saying? you gotta what's listen. And I would try to focus again, and my attention. <laughs> I would just be like, you know, squirrel. Like I would just look, <laughs> and I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it because he's that <laughs> deeply, deeply uninteresting. Um, Griffin, our producer, fell asleep listening to him. And really? Started, like planning all out. Oh louder. my god! <laughs> I'm not not putting Griffin on blast. Griffin's been doing very hard work. He is very much forgiven, and uh, it's very understandable because. But you know what's crazy? I was trying to look it up. The New York Times did analysis. You know, the typical like who talked the most. He talked the most. Tim Scott talked the most. Yeah. He talked the most. And he said the least, or at least the least that I paid attention to. And I think it was because the moderators have like a soft spot for, they seem to like him and Nikki. They'd always give her a chance like, oh, Vivek said something about you. You want to reply? And then it would never go in the other way. So when she called Vivek scum, they weren't like, Hey, buddy, you got something to well, say to that. Well, I think she interjected and he was already in the midst of talking when that happened. They didn't give him a chance to reply to to her saying that, but they seemed to favor her and they seemed to favor Tim. Like they they almost like felt bad for him and didn't really cut him off. So he ended up with the most talking time and it's like, what'd you, what'd you really well, do with it? That is, that's a great point because that is exactly what I would expect of corporate media. Yeah. Those are like the two candidates that are like, oh, yes. The serious and honorable That's Nikki right. Haley and Tim Scott. That want to get us in 85 wars tomorrow. Yeah. Chris Christie, I don't know what to say. I'm so disappointed. Yeah, it's really a shame. I mean, you got it. You know, you got no chance. Like, you know, you're just doing this for the pats on the back from CNN and MSNBC. There's so many things you could have said about Trump. I mean, the guy's a joke and he gives you ammunition every week and you couldn't hit him with anything. I genuinely. Nothing. I don't get it because you've covered in your show. He's had moments, yeah, he, just not on the debate stage. He berated a Republican crowd at some Freedom Fest thing in Florida. And uh, he was like, you guys are reprehensible and you're waging like a war on the truth. And I could say the most obvious thing about Trump that's bad about him and you would still be booing me. Wow, what a surprise. Yeah. Basically like, you idiots are in a cult. Fuck you. Yeah. And it was a good moment. And then, but now in the debate, he's going on nothing. like fighting Crickets. with Eric Bowling and Newsmax yeah. and whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's had some moments and, and we know what he has been able to do in the past. I mean, he completely nuked Marco Rubio's yeah, career right. back in 2016. He came to prominence from like, you know, yelling at and berating teachers, which Republicans absolutely loved during that era in New Jersey. That's what 
made them like him to begin with. So I don't know where his feistiness has gone on the debate stage, but it is nowhere to be found. He is so irrelevant up there. So polling, do you think the polling is going to change at all? Did you see no. any snap polls after the fact to see who won? Who won? Okay, so um, they did one over, JL Partners did one. They didn't ask who won the debate overall. They just did a head-to-head, like, between DeSantis and Nikki Haley, because those are kind of the two tr- top Trump alternatives. Who do you think did better? And it was overwhelmingly DeSantis. It was like, I'm trying to remember, it was like 56 to 29, something mm-hmm. like that. DeSantis over Nikki Haley. I think that sort of tracks with my impression as well in terms of who conducted themselves the best. Maybe the polls shift a little bit in Ron's favor. Maybe Nikki loses a little bit of steam. To the extent that I can make a case for the thing mattering at all, there was a possibility that there was a real coalescing around Nikki Haley. You know, you just had Mike Pence drop out. You've had the debate stage was cold. And now it's It's kind of that moment of like, all right, somebody could... Yeah, you could have this coalescing around one candidate as the primary alternative and DeSantis equipped himself well enough that that's that's not going to happen. So I guess in that way, it kind of matters. But again, that just like helps Trump more. Final question. Are you buying the girlfriend reveal of Tim Scott at the end? Come on. <laughs> Is that a come on yes no. or a come on no? I, I No, I'm not buying it. So you think I'm it's a, it's like an actor. He hired yeah, somebody. I, I don't know if he hired, maybe it's a friend. I don't know what the backstory is, but clearly he felt pressure to like produce this alleged girlfriend. Because and, of the donors. Because the donors were like, if you don't show us that, because they're afraid he's gay. Yeah. They're like, hey, if you don't show us that, you know, you're, you're with a woman, then sorry, we're gonzo. Yeah. And so we had, there's this woman, her name is Mindy, by the way. I don't know. Mindy. (laughs) I don't know how long his campaign is for this world. Like, you're in there. Mike Pence dropped out before him. I couldn't believe that. Pence was way higher than Tim Scott in the polls. You're not even the top candidate from your state. Not even the top candidate from your state, not the top establishment option. Yeah. You've, there's been no hope during any debate that you think that says you could do this. No, nothing. Not no a flash in the pan. Nothing. No indication that anything is going to change there. So it's like, you know, I mean, the move for him seems to me like he um, he had been talked about as possible vice presidential pick for Trump. I don't He's think going with Christy Noem. I don't think that's happening. He's going with Christy Noem. Probably the move for him is to drop out and endorse Trump and, you know, try to get back in good with the Trump administration. And um, he hasn't said anything mean about Trump, so I don't think he burned that bridge and go along his merry Tim Scott way. All right, so now let's go ahead and jump into some of the clips here. So uh, you and I seem to be in agreement that DeSantis had the best night. Not that it matters. Trump is leading by an insurmountable number at the moment. Yeah. But uh, I want to go ahead and show everybody how aggressive he was at various times going after Trump. Take a look. Now, if you look where we are now, it's a lot different than we were in 2016. And Donald Trump's a lot different guy than he was in 2016. He owes it to you to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing in Florida. I I showed how it's done. One year ago here, we won a historic victory, including a massive landslide right here in Miami-Dade County. That's how we have to do it. So I promise you this, as the nominee, next November, I'll get the job done. And as president, I will deliver for you. Let me turn to ambassador. So I actually feel kind of bad for old Ronnie boy. 
because I, you know, and I was thinking about this the other day. I think I mentioned it on my show. On paper, he's the one because Trump is Trump, but he has all of this baggage that comes along with him. Yeah. Like he really takes it over the top with his personality and his lack of a filter and his inability to be even. be a normal human being. You know what I mean? Like he's very aggressive and shoots from the hip and he's got all these flaws, all these malfunctions. And DeSantis really is, hey, I'm Trump 2.0. I am the better version. I'm him minus all of the baggage. I'm more uh, prim and proper as a politician. Mm -hmm. I'm more intelligent. If you look at my record, I got a lot of these policy goals through. Like this is the case that he makes. Mm -hmm. And every point he makes there, is true from a right-wing perspective. Hey, this guy said, I'm going to build the wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. He didn't build the wall and Mexico didn't pay for it. Yeah. He said, uh, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll get rid of the national debt. He added trillions to the national debt. He said he was going to drain the swamp. Does the swamp looks like, look like it's been drained? And he says, you know, he's a winner. Well, guess what? He's the biggest loser you can imagine. Yeah, he won in 2016, but every single election after 2016, Republicans have underperformed because they have the stench of Donald Trump on them. He's an extremist. He denied the results of the election. It's because of him that Roe versus Wade was overturned. Like these things are really, really, really hurting the Republican Party. Everything he says there is true. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter a little bit. Yeah. It's amazing. I've never seen anything like it before. Yeah. Well, I think the... Strongest argument he's making there is really the electability case. And that's been what he's sort of most consistently made. You remember after he won re-election, Ron DeSantis, and Republicans didn't have the red wave and it didn't work out well for them. He was like, look at the scoreboard. And that was kind of his like, listen, if you want a winner, I'm the guy. I know how to do it. I did it in Florida, et cetera, et cetera. But the other problem for that argument right at the moment is people are looking at these polls of Biden losing to Trump in every swing state except for one and saying like, I don't know, Trump seems pretty electable to me. Looks pretty good in the polls, doing better in the polls than he was in 2020 or 2016 at this time. So to the extent that electability was a core concern for Republicans, which I always was a little skeptical that electability would really drive Republican voters in the same way that it drives the Democratic base. But there is some group that for whom that would be a like persuasive pitch. But they're looking at the polls. They're saying, this guy looks like he's going to win. I'm not worried about it. So DeSantis's only hope is if Trump actually is convicted before the election. Before the Republican before the, primary starts. Right. Or before, or like midway through it and then all the Or Super Tuesday or whatever. Yeah, that's his only hope because the polls do show that if he's convicted, all of a sudden Biden has really comfy leads. Yeah. In all these states for the general election. Mm-hmm. So outside of that, yeah, homie's got homie's got nothing. And well, Republicans, to your point about Republicans, yeah, I was wrong because I thought even if they start caring a little bit about electability, it's not going to be Trump. It'll be somebody else. All you need is like some of them to care something about electability, right? And that just didn't happen. If anything, they doubled down mm-hmm. and tripled down and quadrupled down on vibes. And I mean, that's Trump's entire appeal is vibes. It's I trigger the libs the best. Mm-hmm. It's shut your brain off and join my cult. That's his whole appeal. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's held as strongly as it has is astonishing to me. It's almost like there's with every negative thing Trump does that the mainstream media covers. He also goes up with the Republicans as a direct result of that. 
And that's astonishing to me. Yeah. That's wild because that doesn't work like that with anybody else. If, if Obama was found guilty of fraud before the 2008 election, he wouldn't have won. It would have been Hillary Clinton that won. Yeah. Look you know at what, what happened with Menendez in New Jersey. Like he's toast. He's done. Right. His Democratic challenger is like beating him like crazy. And the state was like 80 to 20, if even that good for Menendez. Instantly. But with Trump, the exact opposite. Right that way. And that's that's the thing is the real electability case against Trump is the one you just laid out. Look, he may be doing okay now, but this dude is very likely to be found guilty on some of these charges. And look how the polls change when he does. Yep. But they can't make that case. Because they got to say he's innocent. The, and because <laughs> the base doesn't want to hear it. Right. That's when um, Christie and Asa Hutchinson were trying. That's the case they were trying to make to that Freedom Fest or whatever right. Republican mm-hmm. audience when people were booing them and they hated it and they were, you know, going after him for it. They don't want to hear that. And so, you know, you're really at a loss to make a compelling electability case if you don't have that piece because the poll show right now, he's in good position to win. So where's the electability problem if you even presume that Republican voters actually genuinely care about that, which to me continues to be a real open question. And it's interesting because in the same way you see many people on the left, like Cenk Uger, for example, saying Biden can't win. It's impossible for him to win. There's no way he's going to win. You actually see many anti-Trump Republicans saying the exact same thing in reverse, that there's no way Trump can win. Yeah. No way at all. And I think that I just I think that's an interesting dynamic, don't you? Yeah, I do. And I I, part of um, why there's such a disconnect in the polling between okay, how it looks today versus you ask people like, okay, and what if he's found guilty is that New York Times poll that, you know, really created a stir this week and that we're both kind of referring to with this, um, that asked people, how do you think that he's going to be found guilty? And it was only, I think, 39% who thought that he would. So most people don't believe that he's actually going to be found guilty on any of these charges. And so they're not factoring that into their assessment. They still are operating on this like Teflon Don. He always wiggles out of it and he's going to wiggle out of this again. And this time it's it's different. I mean, we see yeah, with this civil case that, it's, right. that yeah. it's different, that he's already been found liable for fraud and that, you know, it's just a question of how much the how big the penalty is. So that era has already passed, but people are still operating with the old framework of like, yeah, he's going to get out of it. That's somehow. such a great point. That's such a great point. They have, they think they have like this status quo bias. Like he's gotten out of it 47 times. So he's yeah. going to get out of this one. But even if you allow for the status quo bias, well, the most recent example, he went down. It's just a question of how much he's going to have to pay up to $250 million of a fine. And he's going to lose his business license in New York. It's like, that's already over. And then again, th- that was one of the, easier cases in the sense that a $250 million fine or $100 million fine or whatever, losing your business license is nothing compared to 91 felony charges, whether it be uh, obstruction of justice or whatever he did with the classified documents or uh, the election crimes that are being, uh, that are happening in Georgia and in DC with Jack Smith. Like this is real serious. And then Like, it's just, it's all the timeline, man. They got to speed it up. They got to speed it up. They got to speed it up. It's that simple. It is the timeline. And there's just, there's kind of a failure of imagination, both because of we're so used to, I find myself in, you know, operating the same way and having to remind myself the facts of the cases and where these juries are going to be selected and how many charges there are against him, et cetera, because we are so used to the whole like, oh yeah, the walls are really closing in this time being the model for Trump consistently. But, you know, I think it's hard for people to imagine because of Trump's history. 
I think it's hard to imagine because we just we have never been in this situation with a past president. That's right. Facing all these criminal charges and, a tr and trials unfolding during an election season. So nobody really knows what that's going to look like. And then there are the questions of the timing. Does any of this really come to fruition before people are headed to the polls? Open question there. So. Yeah, it just ends up that you're in this very strange situation where everyone's just sort of like pretending like that stuff isn't happening and that it's not going to affect the electorate whatsoever. When, yeah, the documents case in particular, to me, I, I don't even know what his defense is at this point. Like, I don't really think he has one. Yeah, there is no defense to the obstruction charge. They he, literally have it like on video. Anyone <laughs> like, else. It's on video. If you were talking about anyone else you would be able to see very clearly like, this is open and shut. Yeah. It's over. Mm -hmm. Like it is mm -hmm. over. But with him, we still have this kind of, you know, pretending that it's suspenseful what might actually occur and unfold because it's Donald Trump and he always seems to get away with it. Indeed, indeed. All right, so now let me go ahead and talk a little bit about Vivek because okay. he, in the <laughs> debate, he came he came right out the gates like a bat out of hell. <laughs> I don't even know what that saying means, but it applies. Uh, so he went after Ronna McDaniel aggressively, the head of the RNC, which weird. I'm sure 92% of the audience was like, who? <laughs> Who's Ronna? Like, what, what are you talking about? Um, and then he also said, that, you know, he torched the media and said, you guys shouldn't even be hosting this debate. It should be Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. And Tucker Carlson. And Tucker Carlson. <laughs> and um, then he starts yelling at the media, doing his best Trump impression, impression, basically calling them fake news. So let's watch and then we'll react to it. Uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We're a cancer to the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will Turn over my yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there are cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats and we've got Kristen Welker here. You think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Christian, I'm going to use this time because it's actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross. Sorry. This is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. Mr. Ramaswamy, and they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Accountability. Let me turn to That's Governor, Governor Christie. So at the end there, he couldn't help himself but to throw the red meat to the Trump base. Like, rigged election. Rigged election. Mm -hmm. Now, I know he said, oh, no, it was rigged because of the Hunter Biden laptop. Mm -hmm. But he knows yeah. what he's doing there. It's a little sleight of hand trick because he knows what the Republican base voters are going to hear. Yeah. And they're going to hear he's defending Trump. I like him. Yeah. That's what they hear. So we got that. Um. At the beginning when he says party of losers, true. But then he says, I blame Ronald McDaniel. It's like, <laughs> bitch, Ronald McDonald is not the problem. 
The problem is Donald Trump, who you've hitched your wagon to. He's well, and it'll be interesting. And I don't abortion. even know. If, yeah, and abortion. So I don't even know if she totally agrees with me on that. But I think I I think it's exactly that. Trump, the election denialism and abortion, and maybe even sprinkle in a little bit of the fact that people can see like when the Republicans couldn't pick a speaker and it was hectic and there were civil war between them. I think people just look at Republicans and they go extremists. Yeah. Extremists. And that's not his analysis. His analysis is we need to be more Trumpy. The idea that it's Ronald McDaniels <laughs> is the chief culprit here for Republican <laughs> losses is so silly. And I, my Insta reaction to that whole pre-planned diatribe is it was like um, Kamala Harris's that little girl was me, but for Republicans. Uh, like very planned out, you know. Oh, I was all planned, yeah. Uh, 100%. They hadn't even, he's going after Kristen Welker, who also is not a particularly good villain. Like, it's not like people really know who she is. It's not like she's or Lester had Holt. super combative exchanges with Republicans. I mean, she's just, you know, she's very typical NBC News journalist. So by that, you know, by that, I guess, you know, they automatically hate her. But it's not like she's Jim Acosta, right? So you're coming out of the gate. She hasn't even asked you an unfair question yet. And you're already like, do you disavow Russiagate or whatever? I don't know. To me, I just can't stand these like very clearly pre-planned lines of attack. You said earlier you felt like Nikki Haley had a real scent of desperation yeah, about mm-hmm. her. To me, that's what this read for me. It's like, I got to do something. I got to make some noise. I got to be the center of attention. Newt Gingrich attacked the press once and it really worked for him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and swing in at the press and force them to answer. And this was the one area where I actually thought the moderators did kind of a good job because they were just kind of like, okay, your time is up. Next question. See, I didn't really react. My slight disagreement with you is I think the online right ate it up. And I think that was his goal to make the online right eat it up. Maybe. Yeah. So so when he name drops Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, dude, you are <laughs> like you are trying to appeal to the most hyper online right wing weirdos who be, ever. Who would be the equivalent trio on the like for liberals? It'd be so like Anthony Ra- Fauci. Rachel Maddow, for okay. sure. A substitute for Tucker. Yeah. Instead of Joe Rogan on the left, who would you say? Like David Pakman or Sam Cedar, maybe? They don't have the kind of cachet. Yeah, they're not as big as Rogan, but you're yeah. not going to find anybody that's like a like a actual left wing person who's as big as Joe Rogan. Pod Ro- save. Pod save. There you go. So Rachel this Maddow. John this should Favreau. be Rachel Maddow. Pod save America and and Anthony Fauci and Anthony Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cringe fest. You guys are such losers. Jesus Christ. And then he says the Democrats wouldn't hire Greg Gutfeld. First of all, if you act, like I said, if you actually go by the substance of the questions that were asked, yeah. Vivek should be ex- extremely excited because all the questions were from a right wing framing. Absolutely. Every single one. Absolutely. There was not a single question about like the minimum wage or unions or corruption or anything that actually matters. Right. So, so annoying. And then, um, the the Trump Russia collusion hoax. Do, do you do you disavow that? Like, we're like seventeen other media failures beyond now the Trump Russia thing, and it's just going in back into the greatest. Like trying to bring back the greatest, the greatest hits. hits. Absolutely, you know? just rewind the track. Let's hear it again. As absolutely, and you know, someone who is a little more skilled could have that in the back of their heads of like, I want to turn the tables on the media at some point but would be able to wait and pick their spot for yes, like that's a, a great question point. that's unfair or that whatever, you know, that's framed from a liberal perspective. And that's when you pounce. You can't do it in the opening statement 
when she hasn't even done anything or said anything and you're and it's Kristen Welker. It's like I said, it's not like Jim Acosta or Rachel Maddow or whatever. And nobody even really knows who she is in particular. She's a sort of like mild mannered, normal journalist um, that you're going to go in hard after her out of the gates. I don't know. Maybe you're maybe you're right. It wasn't for me. Maybe it was for the online right. Maybe they loved it. Maybe this made him a hero to them. But I also thought the fact that the moderators immediately were just like, okay, moving along, and it didn't become a bigger thing in the room also kind of took the legs out from underneath of him and like sapped it of the oxygen that he clearly wanted it to get. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't, it's like he's clearly not running to be president. He's got other goals in mind. I think he's hitting those other goals, I guess is my point. I do think at a point, I think he really thought he might be the guy. Really? I do. I think when, after the first debate, when he got all this attention and there was, you know, real energy around his his performance and lots of polls came out that said he won the debate and, you know, he got all this increased media attention, et cetera. I, I genuinely think he thought, I'm going to pull this off and this is going to work out for me. And I, is he still holding on to that? I don't know how you could be at this point because his polls from that point where he was at like, I was looking at the Real Clear Politics national average. It was at like seven and a half percent. Now he's down at like 4%. He was kind of up there challenging Ron, challenging Nikki for that second or third place slot. Now he's fallen off to fourth place at best. And I, I'm not, I can't see how he's still holding on to the dream. I think, I think what he's angling for now at best would be, let me keep giving Trump a smooth hand job every day. And then if he goes to prison, they might come to me. Yeah. That might be the idea. And if you took Trump out of the race, I think Ron DeSantis would still be number one. Yeah, I think and I think Vivek yeah. would probably be number two. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. All right. So now uh, the war portion of the debate. Oh, God. Mm, this is, oh, God, this drove mm. me crazy. We snapped right back into like 2001 to 2003, height of the war on terror, absolute hysteria, mania, panic, insanity. We're right back there. Oh, yeah. It's crazy to see. So first, we got a little compilation here for you. Let's play some of the greatest hits of warmongering last night. Take a look. As president of the United States, what would you be urging Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to do at this moment? Governor DeSantis. I would be telling Bibi, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. The first thing I said to him when it happened was I said, finish them, finish them. I would tell him to smoke those terrorists on his southern border. And then I'll tell him as president of the United States, I'll be smoking the terrorists on our southern border. If you want to stop the 40 plus attacks on military personnel in the Middle East, you have to strike in Iran. I mean... They're saying these things yeah. at a time when 9,000 Palestinian civilians were just killed in the past three weeks. It's over 9,000 now. Yeah. It's over 10,000. I know the total death toll is over 10,000. I thought it was 9,000 who were um, civilians. But then also 4,000 children are mm -hmm. part of that. Yep. They've leveled over half of Gaza. They're, uh, Israel basically announced we're going to annex half of Gaza and we're going to control it for a while indefinitely. Like as ethnic cleansing is going on, genocide is going on, just uh, we're, honestly a worse, more barbaric version, more barbaric bombing campaign than we saw in Afghanistan over the course of an entire year. They've dropped more bombs in three weeks than we did in Afghanistan over an entire year at the height of the Afghanistan bombing. Yeah. All that's going on. And these guys are like, finish them. Yes. Get the bushers. Smoke them. Smoke the terrorists. Do that. Bomb Iran too. Yes. <laughs> and it's like they're. 
There is no concern for real world consequences. Mm -mm. I don't expect these absolute charlatans and losers to care about innocent Palestinian civilians. I would never expect them to do that. But at the very least, you should be concerned about if you bomb Iran, that's war with Iran. You're definitely sentencing thousands of our young American men and women to go die over there. You don't even care about that. And the answer is no, they don't. They don't. And by the way, all these assholes on stage, save maybe Vivek, Vivek is just wrong on the substance, but everybody else on that stage is definitely taking campaign contributions from Raytheon and Boeing and Lockheed Martin, the entire military industrial complex. Now, I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg thing, right? Does the ideology then lead for them to get that money and then they continue pushing that? Or is it, I, I'm kind of neutral on the issue and then because they pay me, I become pro-war. Doesn't matter. Either way, being pro-war is wrong. Yeah. It, it was actually sickening to watch and... I'm not, obviously, I'm not surprised. Nikki Haley is total unreconstructed neocon. Tim Scott, total unreconstructed neocon. Chris Christie is supposed to be some moderate, total unreconstructed neocon. But it's just shocking to see them all up there. Like, and it's not just war with Iran. They're cheering for war with Iran. Their critique of Biden is that he hasn't been aggressive enough in like getting us into a war in the Middle East. That's their critique of, of Biden. Um, let me put Vivek aside for a minute because I want to talk about his Israel policy specifically in a minute, which he clarified in an interview with uh, with me and Sagar, which we'll get to that in a second. But it's not just war with Iran. They're like, they want war with China over Taiwan. They want war with Mexico over the drug cartels. I mean, the number of wars, even Ann Coulter was online like, Jesus, these people want to start a lot of wars. What a bunch of lunatics. She's rebranded as a paleoconservative when she used to be a neocon. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was just disturbing. The level of psychopathy it takes to just float, you know, these mass potentially worldwide conflicts like, this is a good thing. Like, this is something anyone's cheering for. If you pull even re the Republican base, it's not like they're responding to what the Republican base wants. If you ask them, they're very concerned, too, about— 55 percent want a ceasefire right now in Gaza. Well, yes, about what's happening in the Middle East and don't want it to spiral out of control and are worried about us getting pulled into it. So you have to look at the money involved and say, oh, they're just—either they're just still reflexive on their, like— Cold War era and then War on Terror era um, military hawkishness. You combine that with the the money that's at stake to for saying the right, like, let's go to war things and you end up with a horror show. And by the way, show. they are all creating more Hamas members by the day. Absolutely. Which is ironic because they're all like, you got to finish Hamas. Get rid of Hamas. Well, you killed 9000 civilians. How many of them uh, how many of them have kids now who lost their parents who are then going to join Hamas and they're going to dedicate their life to taking down the state of Israel? Yeah. Right. Like they, there's no. We've learned nothing. This is what drives I me know. crazy is like we had nothing. the entire war on terror, terror era. Don't you remember the Abu Ghraib scandal? Don't you remember the Guantanamo Bay scandal that we were torturing all of these innocent people and the pictures came out and it was horrible and you created more terrorists as a direct result of that. And, you know, we killed hundreds, minimum hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians in Iraq, displaced millions of people. When you look at when all said and done, over $7 trillion was spent in the Middle East on these wars when you account for the interest and expand out a couple decades, like so much money, blood, treasure, absolutely wasted for nothing. It led to the rise of Al-Qaeda and the rise of ISIS. You broke a region in the Middle East. The only people who made out like bandits were the military industrial complex, yeah. were the contractors who went in there and yeah. they made a tremendous amount of money. If you read the Afghanistan papers, the loot, absolute looting of the treasury 
where they would just take these billion dollar contracts, the money's gone and they wouldn't even do a project that they were supposed to do in Afghanistan. This is what happened. They learned nothing from any of this. Yeah. If anything, they don't care. They still support it. Despite all of the waste, fraud and abuse and death and genocide and pain, they don't. It's uh, astonishing to me. And you made this point the other day. I thought it was a great point that what's happening now uh, in Gaza is this generation's wake up call the way that like our generation's wake up call was the war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. That it's like, whoa, whoa, I didn't even know something like this was on the table. I didn't know something like this was possible. You psychos are going to do what now? And with our dollars and with our acquiescence, and we're just going to pretend like Israel isn't committing war crime after war crime in front of the world's eyes. We're going to justify and say absolutely no red lines. We're with you no matter what. They are, and we discussed this the other day, Israel released a list of the 1,400 people who were killed. About 45% of the people Hamas killed were civilians. 45%. Would you like to take a guess what the percentage is? Palestinian civilians killed by the IDF? It's 90%. Hamas has a better percentage in terms of getting military targets versus the IDF. Yeah. Both as a raw number and a percentage. And they're cheering this on. So um, I, as I mentioned before, Sagar and I interviewed Vivek the day after the debate, and I asked him some of these questions. And because you you didn't really get a full picture of what his view on Israel is. Clearly, his approach now, because he's been kind of rebuked on some of the things that he said about aid or whatever, is just to try to be as bloodthirsty as possible for a Republican audience. And so I was trying to push him on, well, do you think they're committing war crimes? And here's some evidence of war crimes. And what do you say to that? And his whole view is... Um, I don't think they are, but basically I don't really care. Jesus Christ. We would just not, he's, he wouldn't send them any more money. He would not send them the $14 billion and he'd just say, all right, you all do whatever you're going to do. So he has the true like paleo conservative. Yeah, the isolationist. The isolationist paleo conservative view. And, um, you know. That is not the leftist view. Not at all. Not even close. <laughs> not at There's all. There's a big difference. And not at all. And it was, I mean, it, to me, it's just sort of stunning to be like, yeah, I mean, collect a punishment, whatever. It's not, it's my opinion that they're not, but you know, I'm not running for, he was saying like, I'm not running for head of the UN or anything like that. So I'm not really that interested and I just would cut off their funding. And then to your point about the, so then I asked him, um, are you concerned about security blowback to the US? Because as you were saying, like a bomb stamp made in America are being dropped on innocent Palestinian civilians as we speak. Do you not worry about the radicalization blowback. and the potential blowback that that could create? And he was like, no, I just think that jihadists are going to be jihadists, whether whatever we do. And I don't know if he really believes that or not, or if he's just trying to spin in the moment. But it does get to this core view of, you know, conservatives tend to think this is just like, this is how they are. It's just their culture. It's, you know, their religion, it's their culture, et cetera. And so whatever we do, it doesn't really make a difference. They were going to hate us and want to kill us anyway. That is the reductive Sam Harris line of argument on this conflict. That like, they're bad. Israel's good. Um, it's their ideology. Material conditions don't matter at all. It's all about uh, their beliefs. It's all about the Quran and a literal interpretation of it. Right. It is purposefully dense. Yeah. It's a purposefully dense way of looking at the situation. Yeah. Like you think an organization like Hamas just comes out of nowhere? 
Like just if Gazans had been, if, if Palestinians in Gaza had just been able to live their lives and be able to prosper and, you know, have if, if the peace deals in the 90s went through, if the peace deals in the 90s actually went through and we implemented it, obviously there would be way, way fewer extremists, probably on both sides, to be honest. Uh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So I do want I got to show you one more. This is okay. still about war. Okay. You're not going to believe what Tim Scott said. Take a look at this. The long term threat is China immediate threat is our southern border. In order for us to have the military to fight three different continents at the exact same time, we are going to have to invest heavily in our military, but we're also going to have to invest heavily in an industrial base so that we can hit our objectives from a military perspective, not only with our ships, but also with our air, with our planes. So he's saying there, uh, fight if in order to fight three different wars at the same time, we got to be ready. We need the military to be bigger. By the way, again, the massive contradiction, as we all know, oh, small government, small government, small right. government, except the military. Right. Make it as big as humanly possible. The largest military ever. The Navy's too small. The Air Force is too small. Everything's too small. We need to make sure. And who's he talking about fighting? Is it like Russia, China, and who else? Like random Middle Eastern countries as well? Mexico? Like what? Is I don't <laughs> He said fight three different continents at the same time. Like, what, right. do, you, what do you, who exactly are you talking about? I know one of them has to be China he's talking about because these guys are absolutely. massive China hawks. But absolutely. was it like but China, Iran, Iran, Russia? Like, it, look, they're openly talking about like, like it's inevitable. Like, yeah, well, we gotta be ready for three wars at the same time. Right. Like, do you realize this is a nuclear age, you fucking idiot? Well, <laughs> the how are you going to pay for it? That never comes into play in these questions, does it? Um, that's like when Janet Yellen got asked about, oh, can we really afford uh, these multiple wars at the same time? And suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, no problem. But when it's healthcare, it's like, oh, we can't afford that. Can't afford anything good for the people. But three wars on three continents all at the same time. Of course, no problem. Not an issue. This was during the uh, Hugh Hewitt, how many ships... <laughs> portion of the debate. Excuse me, lasted. you didn't answer the question. How big should the Navy be? How many ships? Every Where single are the bases? person on the stage, how many ships and what kind of ships and what time frame for the ships. And it took, it was a good, mm. I don't know, how long did this take in the debate? 20 minutes? 30 minutes? So I, to be honest, completely checked out kind of on that part of the debate. And especially when Tim Scott was talking, I was extra checked out on this part of the debate. So I missed him just casually floating like we got to be able to wage war on three continents all at the same time. And, and the other part of the Israel conversation, which was also focused on war, they seamlessly transitioned into the scourge of anti-Semitism on college campuses. And everybody on stage, except save Vivek a little bit. Yeah. Uh, they all sounded like the hypersensitive social justice warrior with pink hair who's 19 years old on a college yeah. campus with a septum ring. Yeah. Every single one of them was like, we need to make sure there's a safe space. Yeah. Safe space. <laughs> they were acting like they were acting like uh, anti-Semitism on college campuses is like the main issue in the country right now. Right. Because there was a couple what they're referring to is what was it? The uh, which Ivy League college did the letter. Harvard. Harvard. Did, some uh, Harvard students did the letter. And they said after the October 7th terror attack from Hamas that like this is solely Israel's fault because of the occupation, because of apartheid. Now, whether or not you agree with that is a separate conversation because it's like, I get it. It's not solely Israel's fault. Hamas right. also does have agency. It's unfair yeah. to put it all on Israel. You can put a lot of it on Israel. Right. You put a lot of it. Yeah. But <laughs> but they said solely. But people looked at their Hamas supporters! Right. You're Hamas supporters! Well, Anti-Semites! Then they've used that to 
Qatar, everyone. Every pro-Palestinian group in the country. Whether Students for Justice for Palestine. Even if they want a two-state solution, it's Hamas supporters. Including Jewish run and led organizations yep. like Not In My Name mm-hmm. and Jewish Voices for Peace. Anybody who wants a ceasefire, who's just out there like, hey, I care that Palestinians are dying in large numbers and look at these horrible images of children being massacred, all anti-Semitic, all, you know, deserving of censure. And DeSantis at one point said he wanted to get the DOJ involved he in bragged, investigation. He just signed a bill on this. He yeah. bragged about using state power to, I think, what is it, withhold funds from universities that have pro-Palestinian groups. Of course, he spins it and says, pro-Hamas groups. Right. It's like, really? That's your contention? There's like 19-year-old weirdos on college campus who are like uh, on the brink of joining Hamas, sending them donations or what? Like, shut the fuck. You know it's not true. They know it's not true. It's just, there's like Dave Rubin, Mr. I'm free speech, free speech, free speech. Then France announced we're banning pro-Palestine protests. He was like, yes! Yeah. It's like, you guys are so pathetic, so pathetic. They love identity politics on this issue. Any other issue, it's, oh, don't talk about race. Don't talk about gender. Don't talk about any of that stuff. But when it comes to... Uh, faith only in this instance. Maybe you could also sprinkle in like Christian identity politics too. Oh, yeah, it's like Christian and Jewish identity politics. And They're like, we need safe spaces. Yeah, <laughs> so true. And it is. And the other thing that drives me crazy about this is you have people with actual power, members of Republican members of Congress, who are out there advocating openly for genocide. Yes, and for that there are no innocent Palestinian civilians. They're all just like the Nazis. And this is subject of no debate or commentary concern from them, from people who have actual power. And then you also have, of course, the fact that members of the um, Netanyahu government, cabinet ministers in the Netanyahu government saying the same things and openly, you know, floating plans for ethnic cleansing. This is no matter of concern, like the the actual literal violence that Palestinians, not the like words or violence, but actual literal violence that Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank, by the way, are being subjected to. No, we're, we're not worried about that. We're worried about a march for cease, a ceasefire that two thirds of the American public, including a majority of Republicans, actually support. You're, this is this all goes back to the Rashida Tlaib conversation. She was just censured by Congress. And they said she was censured because she released a video which showed the carnage in Gaza and juxtaposed it with Biden saying, we support Israel and Netanyahu. And basically like, hey, we're going to remember this in 2024. And at the end of the video, some protesters were chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. There was the text on the screen that said from the river to the sea. And they all turned on her and said, you're calling for the genocide of all Israelis. And she was like, what? And she literally went on to clarify in the next tweet. She's like, just to be clear, when I say from the river to the sea, what I want is a one state democratic solution, justice for all, voting rights for all, equality for all. Yep. She's telling them what she means. It doesn't doesn't mean it doesn't mean killing anybody, genociding anybody, kicking Jews off the land or Israel. It doesn't mean any of that. It means justice for all, one state solution. You could have a debate whether or not it's binational, could be Israel-Palestine or Palestine or Israel. That's all in the the finer points. Right. Uh, But they go, you want to wipe Israel off the map. And some of them say, like, you want to genocide the Jews. They will say she's trying to genocide the Jews. And they censured her as a result of that. Your point was, you got all these Republican congresspeople and Republican senators who are saying literal genocidal shit. Yep. We want to turn Gaza into a parking lot. That's what that's what uh, one of them said the other day. Then you had um, the uh, Brian Mast who wore the IDF uniform to Congress wearing a foreign country's 
uniform, military mm-hmm. uniform to Congress. And he said, don't be so loose saying they're Palestinian civilians. Would you say there are Nazi civilians? These people are, you have Lindsey Graham who was asked, is there a number of civilians where you would start to get uncomfortable with these, this number of Palestinian civilians dying? He goes, no, there isn't. <laughs> Do you have the people, no red lines. John Kirby was asked early on in the conflict. He said, there's no red lines for Israel. They asked him again the other day when we surpassed 9,000 innocent civilians that he goes, there's still no red lines. <laughs> all of these people saying all of these things that are literally genocidal, fucking crickets. Yeah. Nobody gets censured. Yep. Nobody gets finger wagging at them. Nobody gets a letter written to them mm-hmm. saying, how dare you? You've hurt my feelings. But she says from the river to the sea, which she means justice for all when she says that. And they go, nope, you're genocidal. Look, I get it, man. Yes, there's some Hamas people that when they say from the river to the sea, they mean expel the Jews or kill the Jews. Yes, that exists. But you can't pretend like everybody who says that means the exact same thing when Rashida Tlaib told you what she means. And when some college students chant it, they don't mean genocide either. They're out there trying to stop a genocide. They're the freaking placards say that. Stop the genocide. And they just get straw man. I hate it so much. It, and she's the only Palestinian American, the only Palestinian American in Congress. And she was censured at a time when there are 9,000 innocent Palestinian civilians. Now you say 10,000 innocent Palestinian civilians who are dead as a direct result of the Israeli bombing that we fund. We fund it. We arm it. It's just, it, it drives me absolutely crazy. It is disgusting. Somebody pointed out the second censure in American history was somebody who proposed a resolution to end slavery and they got censured. And that's what this reminds me of. Yeah. 100%. That's, exactly right. that's what this reminds that's me exactly of. exactly right. That is exactly right. I mean, she has been the most courageous voice on this issue, calling for basic humanity for Palestinian and Israeli innocent civilians. I mean, without a doubt. And it, makes me, it really is very hard for me to cope with the fact that there is a literal genocide being carried out, plans for complete ethnic cleansing, you know, being released to the public. And you're trying to pretend like a chant at a march is calling for genocide when there is an actual genocide textbook definition of genocide, as some international human rights lawyers have pointed out, going on. This is, to go back to what we were talking about earlier and the comparison with the Iraq war, you know, the the Biden administration and a lot of other politicos, like they think this is kind of a flash in the pan and how young people are worried about this and Arab Americans are worried about this. Muslim Americans are worried about this, but they'll get over it. They'll move along. Something else will come along. I really don't think so. I really don't think so. I don't think that you can watch our government supporting and funding this war on innocent Palestinians and see those babies being murdered and kids being pulled out of the rubble and being orphaned. And I don't think you see this and really wrap your head around like, it's our government that is backing this and helping to fund it and our taxpayer dollars and you're gaslighting us and you're calling like a Nazi, the one, one of the few people who has the courage to stand against this. I don't think you forget that. I don't think you go back to a time when you didn't have that realization that this is actually a thing that's on the table. So, um, you know, it's, I also, with regard to the like college campus censorship debate, I mean, this part too reminds me of the war on terror. And remember the way that the security state expansion and all of this warrantless wiretapping and all of this was justified in the name of national security. And we got to find the bad guys and we got to make sure no one's engaging in any wrong thing. I mean, that's how we ended up with this massive expansion of the security state. Nothing has been learned. Nothing has changed. If anything, it's just like ramped up. They don't even pretend 
to put a, a face on it the way that we used to. I mean, there we didn't hear this just like outright genocidal rhetoric during the Iraq war, at least not nearly as often as this is just commonplace in um, Israel's war on Gaza. And the last thing I'll say about this, you know, just this irritates me in the, the Harvard letter point, which I said, you can't say Israel's solely to blame. Like Hamas has agency. They are, you know, they paraglided into a music festival and murdered people. They deserve some blame for that, right? But you see people like Ben Shapiro making the exact opposite case. I saw New York Times op-ed making the exact opposite case of like, oh, well, every single civilian death is on Hamas. In Gaza is on Hamas. <laughs> they bear sole responsibility. It's the literal same argument that the stupid college kids were making at Harvard. You've got Ben Shapiro in the New York Times, et cetera, making that, but, you know, with the roles reversed. And no, no outcry over that. That logic apparently is perfectly fine. I remember when people were arguing about the Al-Ali hospital bombing and the pro-Israeli side was like, there's, it was definitely a misfired Islamic Jihad missile. And people are arguing about it online on, over and over and over and over and over. Well, did you know, you want to take a guess what the total number of health facilities are that have been attacked? I think it was like 60 some. 111 now. Oh my God. 111, including 42 ambulances, 20 hospitals and 50 clinics. There are 135 health staff that are now dead because of Israel's bombing. That's nurses, that's doctors. 135. 46 journalists have been murdered in the bombing. So what they do is they'll find one area and try to nitpick you to death. And then, by the way, what happens is the Western media then gets scared of being right. accused of being pro-Hamas. Right. So they sanitize every title about Israel where it's like, a blast in the marketplace killed some Palestinians. A blast. A blast. Right. Well, I guess the blast shouldn't have done that. Who who made the blast happen? Who fired the bomb? So it's called working the refs. That's what they do. They work the refs. And But you know what? Like you said, it's not working on this one because the carnage is too overwhelming. When you have over 4,000 children dead, you could see the videos. You could see the pictures. And because the media, the, the corporate legacy media doesn't have a lock on what people are able to see anymore. And so we were talking about the Vivek, Nikki Haley, like TikTok debate or whatever. All of them were like, oh, this algorithm on TikTok is serving all of this pro-Hamas content and like brainwashing our youth, et cetera, et cetera. They're so upset that young people are actually able to see the carnage unfolding and reacting to that. That they want, I mean, they already wanted to ban TikTok, but they're using that as further justification. It's like, you know, maybe it's not TikTok that's the problem here. Maybe it's the mass killing, indiscriminate killing of innocent civilians that could be the problem here. Just just spitballing. Maybe that's the actual issue. And um, I don't know if you remember, Kyle, there was uh, the the guy who's the head of the ADL he was on MSNBC early on. He went I on this whole this, rant yeah. mm -hmm. about, you know, directed at um, Ali Velshi and Eamon and Mehdi and saying like they're using Hamas talking points and who's writing the scripts? Is it Hamas? And he said this thing that stuck with me the whole time. He was like, you know, you're showing all of these pictures of the rubble. Get the story right. Get the story right. He was outraged that they were even showing images out of Gaza of the destruction that was unfolding. And that's what this comes back to is like, they just want to completely invisibilize that. They want to completely erase it, sanitize it, pretend like, well, these aren't even really people anyway, at least not people we should care about. 
they're not innocent. And, you know, we're going to do everything we can to only highlight the Israeli civilian suffering and exaggerate that also in many instances, not that it wasn't already horrifying enough to start with and completely erase these people so that you can't even see or empathize with what they're going through. And, you know, that's the reason that Israel imposes these communications and internet blackouts as well. That's the reason they've been massacring journalists on the ground. There's actually very few journalists even left in Gaza at this point, because not only they, but their family members have been targeted as well. It's all to try to prevent people from having any idea of the extent of the horror and the suffering, but they can't. They can't keep a lid on it because it's just too great what they have done there. And everybody on that stage supports all of it. All right. So now let me um, show you. This was a, a moment that went somewhat viral last night. Uh, Ramaswamy goes after Haley. Well, not just Haley, also DeSantis. Listen to what he says. Fact of the matter is the Republican Party is not that much better. You have the likes of Nikki Haley, who stepped down from her time at the U.N., bankrupt or in debt is, was her family. Then she becomes a military contractor. She joins the board of Boeing and otherwise and is now a multimillionaire. So I think that that's wrong when Republicans do it or Democrats do it. That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first? Or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which case, we've got two of them on stage Mr. Ramaswamy, thank you. Yeah, so I think that's a good line. <laughs> I think I think he's right. She is. She's Dick Cheney in three-inch heels. He is also Dick Cheney in three-inch heels. He wants war with Mexico. Yeah. In some ways, he's less hawkish. I think he's more, he waffles a little bit on uh, aid to Ukraine, but I think ultimately he would do the aid to Ukraine, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I think on, no, that one he's been consistent on. And uh, like I said, I mean, the one area where he's different on Israel is he's like, cool with the genocide, no problem, but we're not going to give you additional money. And he's been, you know. He's against aid to Israel? Yeah. he DeSantis, that's what, I'm asking. Oh, DeSantis, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm talking I'm about talking DeSantis. About no, 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 yeah. I'm talking about DeSantis. Yeah, DeSantis, no, he would do the aid to Ukraine. And yeah, he would that's what I'm exactly saying. He would do the aid to yeah. Ukraine. He's going to, he was for the aid to Israel. He would do war with Mexico, so. Yeah, but, true. But I, so, but hockey, uh, hockey. Haley is more hawkish <laughs> Haley is than more DeSantis. Hockey is more hockey. I, than, I did also ask Vivek to clarify if he is a Ron DeSantis heel truther and he just reiterated like well i said there were two of them on the stage so i so, yeah. think that is confirmation yeah so when i first heard this i actually didn't hear the part where he said um there's two there's of two them of on them. the stage so i tweeted like i'm not sure if he's referring to desantis or to haley but he went after both of them and yeah. said dick cheney and three inch heels but i will make this point too because he points out she's got all this money from defense contractors and she's a giant hawk Wow, what a coincidence. But people point out about uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, the way he made his money was super sketchy, like yeah. fraud type stuff. I don't know if it was like pump and dump. Like there was some like the way he got his money was like, oh, what you know, what went down here? So he, it's funny. He's shameless. He doesn't tread carefully at all. He goes right to like, yeah, the way you made your money is bad and wrong with the defense contracts, which is true. That's true. But they should all turn the tables on him and be like, Homie, you should be in prison. Like, what are you talking about? I, his story is a little more, like, complex. You know what I mean? It's no, like a little harder to soundbite, <laughs> I think. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. They also, they're very skittish about going after rich people, you know. Well, yeah. The, the, and it's class It's the difference between the club versus outside the club. Like, in the club, it's taboo mm -hmm. for anybody to bring up corruption and uh, pay to play. And, you know, that's, but they all do it. They all think it's kind of normal, which is why it's taboo to bring it. You're not supposed to bring it up, which is why, you know, when Bernie was running and he brought it up, they're aghast at that. Trump would always bring it up. 
they're aghast at that. Again, Trump is shameless because he took over $100 million from Sheldon Adelson and moved the freaking embassy in Jerusalem and dropped the corruption charges into it and all that stuff, right? Yeah. But if you bring it up, that's like the number one sign of like, you're not really in the club. Because if you're in the club, you can't touch that. Right. Don't say that. The other thing that I was thinking about with Nikki Haley and all of this, because she really, I mean, she really is like Dick Cheney and according to her five-inch heels, you know, fact check. She's she Dick uses Cheney. it for ammunition. She's Dick Cheney in five-inch heels. And she uses her heels for ammunition. <laughs> and she uses them for ammunition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I guess that's some defense contractor share. They made her some special, I don't know. Yeah, are they anyway. guns? I don't understand. I don't know. Anyway, but it's amazing that that's the person that, again, just based on vibes, the media kind of frames is like, oh, the more moderate Trump alternative. It's like, she's not moderate. Nothing in moderate at any all. any regard. Well, I guess abortion. She She's genuinely more moderate, but that's it. Only abortion. Yeah. And even that, it's like, she's, I mean, she, she said she wants to leave it to the states and she doesn't, her argument is weird because it's like, I totally believe in the pro-life position. I believe abortion is murder, et cetera, et cetera. But if states want to like go ahead with murder, I guess I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's not coherent, it but it's yeah. their political position. Right. It's not philosophically consistent. Right. But it's it's a political stance. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, with all of these wars that she wants to get into and these like a very extreme neocon positions she's taken, she's the moderate Trump alternative. Okay. Yeah. Great. My ass cheeks. Yes. Okay. So now... Um, Final one here. So we got, this was probably the most viral moment mm. of the night. And you also uh, asked Vivek about this yourself. You could tell everybody what he said afterwards, but this is the famous scum moment. Watch this, guys. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. answer is... I just noticed he tried the Trump thing there where he's like, oh, great. That's your supporters. Nice. Yeah. That's what Trump very famously did. See, that's all Jeb's lobbyists and friends yeah. out there. Yeah. He, he tried the Trump thing to like calm down the booze. But well, And Nikki also, I mean, that's a very Trumpian, like being that personal and nasty is also very Trumpian. But again, she messes, she messed her words up there. Leave said, my daughter, daughter off, out, out, out of, of your my voice. voice. <laughs> out of your voice, off yeah. your voice or She's something. She's trying like to that. say like, keep my daughter's name out of, out your, of your mouth. mouth. But she didn't, she mangled it just like she mangled the, the these heel heels are for situation. ammunition. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what? What does that mean? <laughs> right. But um, I'm I'm uh, curious if you agree with my take on this. I have a little bit of a contrarian take here. Okay. I'm 100 percent with Vivek on this one because he brought up um that her daughter uses tick. It's not a shot at her daughter. It's just saying, Nikki, you're so oh I'm Mister because the questions were about TikTok and should it be banned? And of course, every almost every psycho on stage, save Vivek, was like, Yeah, I. I agree we should ban it and not do it. Chris Christie said, I'll do it in the first week. I really? I think You'll ban TikTok also in the first wants week? to ban it. He's okay. just like, I'm going to use it until I ban it. I don't know. Anyway. That I'm makes me flip on him now. And I'm <laughs> just as much against him as everybody else. But like, but so first of all, no, don't ban it. Second of all, the point is, Nikki, you don't actually have some ideological stance against TikTok. Your daughter uses it. Like it's very, it, it's a giant social media company. You're just virtue signaling to be anti-China, to be tough on China, to say, mm -hmm. yes, I will ban it. Yeah. So it's not like, you don't really believe this and mean this. Because if you really were uh, as, if you thought it was as bad as you say now, you wouldn't let your daughter use TikTok. Right. That's the point. And he's that, right. That is the point. And also because she attacked Vivek for being on TikTok. That's such so a, he's like, all right, you're worried about me being on TikTok and your own daughter's on TikTok? Yeah. And that's fair. That's is, fair game. Sorry. I, I think it's fair too. And it's, it's not like 
it it's not like he was going after her daughter. No. He was just saying, you're a hypocrite. And you're just adopting this position for political gain, which I think is manifestly true. Now, it may be true that Vivek also has this position for political gain. That's a separate question, a separate point. But I I personally am on his side in that as well. And then, I mean, you know, anytime you're just doing an ad hominem, like, oh, this guy is scum. You've kind of, you're kind of acknowledging that you've lost the point a little bit. Like, that's all you've got to go is like, oh, you're a piece of trash. And um, you didn't have any other comeback prepared. You you really don't have a response to this, like, well, why is your daughter on TikTok then? So you just go for like, oh, this guy is scum. And with all of these politicians, you mentioned Vivek was trying to do the like, oh, those are her supporters out there, which is very Trumpian. Her using this, you know, nasty ad hominem attack is also very Trumpian. Trump can get away with stuff that these people just can't get away with. Yeah. None of them is like, none of them is charming. (laughs) None of them is funny. None of them is entertaining. I mean, Trump, like, I can't stand the guy, but I can't help it laughing hysterically at things he says very often and being like entertained by his antics. None of them have that thing. And that's why, you know, that's why they're on the stage ripping each other to shreds rather than having a real shot at taking out the big guy. Trump pushes through. So the first time he says something that's outrageous, he does get hit for it and there'll be articles about it and it'll be like a how dare he type thing. But then he he like doubles down and triples down and quadruples down and he'll keep going with it. And eventually at some point you go from oh to <laughs> to <laughs> like you just evolved to that. That's the guy. That's what he is. He is. is genuinely the world's pettiest bitch. <laughs> like he is a petty <laughs> bitch. He'll hold up some, he'll hold some grudge up to your face that he's had for three years. And be, I remember when you did that, I didn't like that very much. <laughs> and that's, and so he gets away with it. Cause it's just, he's genuinely this catty little high school girl. You know what I'm saying? And he's charismatic. And he's compelling and he's funny and he's entertaining and none of these people have any of those qualities. And so it's just, again, to go back to the meta point, I don't even know what we're doing here. Are we really, are we angling for second place? Do we really think we have a shot? Are we trying to get a podcast deal? Look what they're talking about. They're talking about freaking TikTok, Crystal. They're talking about TikTok. They're talking about TikTok. You had a two hour debate. TikTok made the list of the most 14 <laughs> important freaking issues At that you're going to bring up in world history. This is on your list. What are we doing here? Oh. I just I hate it so much. Oh, oh, China, China. Oh, my God, China. How many Republican states are currently in the midst of passing laws that say I need your driver's license registered uh, with the state before you jack off online? Mm hmm. Oh my God, China's invading our privacy. Let me look at exactly what porn searches you had in the past month, sir. What's your driver's license number? I know exactly what you're into. Weird, Greg. You like scat porn? Disgusting. This the government can now see all this shit in a lot of these red states. They're like, China! Right. This is the same government that did the Patriot Act well, you after got the Iraq War. Ron DeSantis on there like, let's get the DOJ to investigate these college kids on campus. And it's like, China! Right, you're like, China, we forget have China. closer to home here. What about the U.S. government and all of the corporations that have taken away your right to privacy? People don't remember this. Trump signed a bill that had like a 9% approval rating when he was president to get rid of your online privacy rights. Yeah, that's right. So now any company could take your information and sell it to a third party and it's totally legal. So if you have anything online and you've ever given your credit card into a freaking website, or they, they could take that and sell it to other companies and they all have your information. And they're over here fearing about China. 
I think they got enough problems on their own with over a billion people or whatever the fuck they got over there. I don't think they're too worried about what Jerry in San Diego is doing, right? <laughs> what Nikki Haley's teenage daughter is doing on TikTok. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but they're may oh, my God, TikTok. Tick. Would you ban it? Yes, I would. I would ban I it. Would, I Every, would ban it harder than yeah, you would ban Every it. Republican on stage. I'm, I would love to ban it. I'm going to ban it right now. I'm going to ban it, not as president. I'm just going to ban it. I'm going to call, I'll call, I'll call Biden and ban it. Like, who cares? Who, shut the fuck up. You're all so stupid. And that's my main take. We can end on this note. That's my main takeaway is like, I hate these people so much. Holy shit. I, I felt sort of ill after watching I hate it. them all so much. They're all so unserious and so stupid and so vengeful and every negative word I can think of. That's what they are. Not a single one of those people on stage has a single redeeming fucking quality. And I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. If you watch that and you're like, oh, yeah, I agree with one. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be this simple. Oh, yeah, let me hear you out. Maybe you have a point. No, fuck off. These people are idiots and they're terrible and you should hate them, too. <laughs> they're in there trying to out genocide each other. I mean, that's what so many of the questions are is like. Tell me how hard you will stand for Israel. Tell me how hard you'll ban TikTok. Tell me how many ships you're going to put in our Navy. Like how many ships and how quickly and how big and how many wars are you going to start? It was a real race to the bottom is all I could say. Yes. Yes, it was. And uh, now I will try to go wash my brain of all of this horrible stuff yeah, that we just I want to forget watched. that any of that happened. Yeah. All right, guys, we love you all very much. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, vent. This was more of a therapy session than a... <laughs> you know, coverage of the debate. I don't if really you will. feel better though. No, <laughs> no. Just knowing this exists and this is one of the two major parties and the Democrats are better, but it's, they'd still be doing the Israel shit, you know? Well, like, the Democrats would just be like, well, we feel a little bad if there are yeah, civilians. That's right. But genocide all Listen, the way. Am I, I, right? told, I told Benjamin Netanyahu, stop bombing babies. Yeah. I said, sir. No, they'd you be better like, stop. no, they'd be like, they'd be like, we know you're not bobbing babies, but if you ever did, don't, just don't. I'll have you know I'm against that. I'm against it, but I know you're not, so we're good. We're How good. many more billions would you like? Yes, That's, exactly, yeah. exactly. Oh. Uh, uh. All right, guys, uh, do us a favor. Help us uh, continue this this show. <laughs> Go ahead and sign up below on Substack. <laughs> Link below. Check it out. Um, you can sign up for free and you listen to the audio podcast when it drops or you could sign up and pay $5 a month and get the video of every show and you usually get it a day early. Uh, we love you all and we hope you have a great weekend and we'll talk to you later. 